Hi, everyone, and welcome to Between the Lines. I'm Shannon Bessie, and I'm here today with Tracy Hunter Abramson, Sarah M. Eden, Esther Hatch. And today we are also joined by our special guest, Sarah L. McConkie. Welcome, Sarah. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you. So I've known, oh, it, this is just a treat. I've known Sarah for a few years. Um, but this week, for the very first time, I took a look at the bio on her author page, which go ahead and visit. It's really fun, fun place to be. And I thought it would be fun to share a little bit of that bio with you because it will give you a little insight into Sarah's personality. So this is what she has on her bio. Sarah L. McConkie started her writing career in the second grade with a 13-page magnum opus about dinosaurs. Okay, so we all love her already, right? <laughs> Although the plot line and the penmanship lacked polish, Sarah learned she loved retiring to bed thinking of what to write the next day. On a good night, she still does the same thing. Sarah took up the pen several years later after tucking her own little dreamer into bed and now combines modern life experiences, a robust knowledge of Regency classics, and a passion for all things old. So, Sarah, one of the reasons that we wanted to have her come on right now is that she is in a really unique position this month. She's a previously published author, but on February 13th, her book, Dual Devotions, released with a brand new publisher. So in some ways, she probably feels a little bit like a debut author, and in other ways, she isn't. So let's start today by just asking you to tell us a little about a bit about this book, Sarah. Is it a departure from the other books that you've written, or the start of a series, a standalone? Tell us a little about the story. Yeah, you bet. So um, it's hopefully the start of a series. Um, I'm still working on the second one. I wrote that book and then I wrote on something entirely different that is now to my publisher. And then this and then I'm kind of coming back to the series. So we'll see. Um, but it is a little bit later in the Victorian era. Some of my other books have been early Victorian. If you're a Regency nerd, you know that the Regency time period is actually very short. And so people often tell me that I'm a Regency author. And I say, well, no, because my book took place after that very short time period. So it's technically early Victorian. So this is early Victorian. Um, and um, I love it because it has some Romeo and Juliet vibes um, with a different but still kind of a dicey little ending. Um, and then I like this one, too, because the romance is really strong from the start. They like each other the whole time. I know sometimes there's like conflict, but these characters actually um, are interested the whole time. So that's really fun. And then the last thing I love about it is that it talks a lot about family relationships and how to forgive in those relationships. And so that was a fun component for me to write and explore those deeper feelings. How fun. Yeah. So have you found switching publishers difficult? I mean, what's like, what's the same and what what differences are you finding? Yeah. So in some ways it's, it's difficult and some ways it's easier. Right. Um, so 
I would say that in general, um, anytime you get a new, even a new editor within the same publishing house, you're going to have a different style that you have to learn. Yes, um, we're all nodding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Yes. So that is different, right? And then also the process of you know how they how many edits they go through how they accept um those kinds of different things how they do their covers how they pick their titles there's all these little nuances that you have to just learn again um but overall it's been a really positive experience for me um and yeah i i liked it even better i feel like um as sometimes as you change and you move to different places sometimes you find that the organization improves and that's been my experience so that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Esther, yeah. you are muted. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I have two dogs here and I was worried they would bark <laughs> at any moment. So, but I forgot to turn that back on. Um, I was just saying how excited I was to have Sarah on because Sarah and I actually started publishing like at the same time, I swear, like within months of each other. So I went to her like very first um, book signing slash what would you call what is it when you like your release party Launching. and it, it was it was super fun so i feel like we've kind of got this tandem journey going on so thanks for being here sarah um i the one thing that is different about sarah is though um we actually live pretty close together and i was like do you want to just come to my house for this and she was like well i have two kids and a dog i can't remember what it was like maybe three kids at three home kids. and <laughs> three kids and she's like, I'm going to try and put one down for a nap. And then, you know, so, and I'm just at home. My kids are all at school. I do have some dogs that I'm trying to keep quiet, but um, it's a very different, that part of it's very different. She got started earlier in life than I did for sure. So um, I, I didn't start until my youngest was three. And so a lot of my career, I've had them in school. So I'm just curious, like, how do you juggle doing this writing career, which is very time consuming and thought consuming yes. <laughs> with having children. How do you make that work? Do you have any tactics that you could share with anyone else in maybe your same position? Yes. So my kids are still really young and I have two words, nap time. Um, <laughs> that is a really, we're really into making sure everybody sleeps at the same time. And I like a totally quiet house for a couple of hours in the afternoon. And I try to just commit to no laundry, no cleaning, no anything. It's just me and my computer, at least for, you know, an hour or two of that time. So um, that's one thing. My husband sometimes works at night because of the time zone of his company. And so sometimes I write then. And I've even started waking up early and um, trying to get up before everybody else gets up. And so you just kind of have to commit that you want to do it. And, and also you have to um, be okay with your own journey. Like I haven't published as fast as some of my friends and I'm okay with that because I love my role as a mom and I love spending time with my children. And so um, I think there's different seasons for people of how fast they can, they can put out things. Um, so that's kind of been what I've done. But if you really want to, like I, I had a book that I just turned in like a week and a half ago, and I just made a commitment that I was going to get up in the morning and just edit through it one more time because I wanted another read through. And, um, you know, that motivation when you really commit works really well. And then you just got to put in those hours and you can make it happen. And I, I'd love that, you know, what you, the will, when there's a will, there's a way, you know, that we all have different seasons. Cause I know when I started, my first book came out within days of my, um, my youngest child being born, like it, they were three days apart. And 
it was like that nap time was golden, but it was also, I had kids in school already and they all knew I'm like, I'm turning off the phones. I'm not answering the phone. I'm pretend this is my job. So when friends come to the door and like, Hey, let's go do something. I'm like, I'm not home. The yeah. garage door is closed. I'm not answering the door. Like if, if something's wrong at school, call twice. If the phone rings twice, I'll answer it. This is be a long time ago. Caller ID was not as big of a deal back then. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, it was, but also um, just knowing like it was okay to just take my time and, and like I would do one book a year back then. And now I do more, but it's, it's really important to, you know, have the priorities be what you want them to be and take, take control of that. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think even though you may be the only one with really little ones at home right now, Sarah, we've all been there at some point because when I started writing, my youngest was an infant too. And I remember feeling like I was stealing time. So while I was doing the dishes, while I was driving to piano lessons, while I was doing all mm -hmm. of those things that we do as a mother, the storylines going through in your head so that when you put your casserole in the oven and you put the timer on for 20 minutes, you go to the computer and you write what's <laughs> yeah. been in your head for 20 minutes and then you're done again and mm -hmm. it repeats. So you just have to yeah. find what works. And I think it's really healthy too, because I think sometimes we get in our heads and we get worrying about things. And when I'm in my head with my characters, I'm actually in a happier headspace. I'm like, I'm solving a problem. <laughs> I'm learning about history. I'm doing these things. And it's not like, oh, I'm thinking about what so-and-so said. You know, it's like, I'm here with my people. So I love That's it. Great. It's a good, It's a good brain place for me. That's I wish fine. we could say, and characters don't talk back. They yeah, do, no, no, but, but <laughs> it's like you have some control. Yes, <laughs> but the whole headspace thing is tricky because I do remember once finding myself in the produce department at the grocery store, and I honestly couldn't remember how I got there because I had been so <laughs> consumed with the story in my head as I'd been driving that I had just gone on automatic pilot. So, oh, dear. Well... Okay, let me ask you another hard question. This is another one that we've all been asked before, but we'll we'll do it to you anyway. <laughs> so where do the ideas for your books come from? Yeah, it's it's a that's a good question. So sometimes, you know, I'm taking a little bit of life experience and reworking that or something that I've watched or seen and putting it in a historical context. And then a lot of times in order to do that, I want a construct of something historically interesting that I want to bring to the page. And so I just start reading about different aspects of history. And Sarah probably gets this. I know Sean probably gets this too. When I read your books, I feel like it's there. Something grabs you from history and you're like, oh, that needs to make it in. You know, um, yes. just, just yesterday I was researching something for my next Thing that I'm going to work on. And I told a friend and she's like, a book needs to be written about that, you know? So I think you just find a little thing in history, you research it more, and then it comes to life. Like I used to not love mm -hmm. history. And now when I think about it as people and connections and stories, I'm like, oh man, I love this. And I think that that's what we do, right? In our books is we take a historical event and we build the relationships around it. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. And I definitely have seen that in your books, Sarah, like, and it's fun because you get to kind of learn while you're reading and um, enjoy like a fun story. So, and I, I've had a few times where that's happened for me with research and, and it's so fun when like that idea sparks a story because it almost, I, 
books never write themselves <laughs> ever. <laughs> like that's something people say that's just not true ever, but um, it does help kind of give you that skeleton of a story and like some interesting things that you definitely want to have come out. And I was thinking about this question, Sean, about just where ideas come from. And I think like how you guys were all talking about how we're all, our headspace is kind of always in a story. I think like it can come from anywhere. And I look at all my books mm -hmm. and I feel like uh, they've all come from different places because mm -hmm. I'm looking for a story. So some have been conversations I've had with my husband. Others have been like a movie or a show where I'm like, I love how the writer did this thing. And I'll be like, could I do that in a different way? So I think it's it's kind of a cool thing about being an author is you get to always be looking for a story. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you can combine things too that haven't been combined yeah. before. Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like my answer to that question is always, where don't they come from? Because they're all over. I mean, even though I write historicals, I may see something in the news now where I think, ooh, what would be the late 18th century equivalent of that? And how would someone react? Like, it's it's everywhere. If you really, really want to not ever be asked that question again, <laughs> not that I'm speaking from experience, <laughs> tell the person who asks it. I get my ideas from people who randomly talk to me. <laughs> like, maybe I shouldn't have started this conversation. So awkwardness I found is a great catalyst for stories. So Sarah's tip for the day. So I kind of I kind of love that we focused um this episode on like new things as an author, whether it's new ideas or new publishers or new projects or slightly new time periods. Like Sarah was saying, she she actually writes early Victorian, um, but a lot of the readership who comes into it is very familiar with Regency. So it's this tiny shift. It's this something new. Um, I think as writers, and this has at least been my experience, we're always kind of hungering for something a little bit new and a little bit different and something challenging, which when you think about it is ridiculous that we're always like, writing isn't hard enough. I'm going to intentionally make it harder on myself that we have issues. But I think every single one of us has done that where we've tackled something new, be it a new genre, a new format, a new publisher, a new market. Um, and that can be intimidating, especially because what we do is already um, wrought with difficulties. So uh, my question I kind of want to throw out is, how do you approach something new or gear yourself up for something new? Get yourself excited when you know I'm handing myself a challenge yet again. How, how do you jump into that with enthusiasm rather than dread? Yeah, I for me, I really like to commit kind of like a hard line, like I am going to do this, or sometimes I write it down or I tell someone else, I'm not really a good, like, I think I'm going to try this out. It's kind of like all or nothing. And I, um, so for me, that's a tactic that works really well. I know some people that like turns them completely off. <laughs> um, but for me, that's kind of one thing I do um, is just say, okay, this is my new thing. Maybe for the next three weeks, I'm going to do this or, or something, give myself a little time and and try that that new thing the other thing i was going to say is that i um i used to teach junior high and something that was really fun is that i would make my students i taught choir um but i i would make my students do a comfort zone activity they picked whatever it was and they had to write a paper about getting outside of their comfort zone and i would choose to do that as well with them and then i would read a couple of the papers in front of the class after every um, semester that we did this. And I just think sometimes realizing this is outside of my comfort zone, but I'm going to do it anyway, is a really great place to be because 
you, you give yourself grace that way, but you also like gear up for the challenge. Like you said, I I think I'm similar as well. That it's like, I just, it's like committing to something. You actually get a sense of excitement for doing something new. Um, Because, you know, after a while, it's like, okay, I I do it the same way. And and some things we can't change our processes. Although Sarah Eden would be so proud of me that I actually had, I was writing something in a different format and I had to do, in essence, an outline. Mm -hmm. And I about fell over. She was so proud of me. I am so proud. (laughs) It's like, you know, but then I had somebody else was saying that for another project, they're like, could you please send us like some sample chapters and an outline? And I and I had to email back and I said, you know, I don't think I would recognize an outline if it was under flashing neon lights. Yeah. So there are certain things that we know that are just not going to work for us. But, you know, it's <laughs> it's fun to try new things. But same thing with travel, like a lot going new places that I've never been, things like that. It's like, all right, you do a little research. That is one thing I will research is where I'm going. And, um, you know, and you just, again, it's that sense of adventure and a sense of excitement, whether it's a new writing style, project, genre, anything. I think that's what really helps us move forward and, and keeps us from getting stale. I love that. Yeah, I have rampant anxiety. I don't know if any of you ladies have picked up on that. Um, <laughs> many, many, many years ago, I'd mentioned to a therapist that I wanted to try a new sort of offshoot in my career and try something I hadn't before, but that I was too like too afraid, too anxious to step outside of my comfort zone. And, and she said, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I was like, oh, I have a list. I did. I'd made an actual list and I read it <laughs> off to her. And she said, okay, here's my um, assignment for you. I want you to make a legitimate list. I mean, go over the one you have, see if anything else needs to be added to what's the worst that could happen if you try writing in a different era like Sarah calm down right she goes if death isn't on the list you have to try <laughs> so that's become my go-to what's the worst that could happen if death isn't one of the options then I'm gonna try it so I'm not dead yet to quote one of Tracy's book titles so clearly <laughs> stepping out of the comfort zone isn't fatal most of the time so. oh well, and you're you're also positive about it. I there have been many times, and these ladies who know me best know this, where I will try something new, and I will get started in it, and I'm committed. I'm like Sarah and Tracy. I'm committed to see it to the end, but not without complaining all the way. And I will very often say, this was the stupidest idea I ever had. But then I just keep going. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. She has complained so, her way to success. <laughs> and she, it's no. never a stupid idea. Like, never. <laughs> no. Well, if stupid ideas equate with not being able to sleep at night, I am loaded with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well. That is really one of the magical things about writing is that everyone approaches it differently. And the same thing that can inspire people one way will inspire someone else a different way. And thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing your experiences with us. And we look forward to reading your book. It just sounds so fun. So as we close this episode today, I'd like to ask our listeners, what books have you read and loved that were inspired by something else? Maybe a fairy tale retelling, a historical event, a current event, a family situation. What have you tried that is new? What, what do you love about trying something new? 
leave your answers on our social media. Uh, we love hearing from you. And thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you'll join us again on Between the Lines next time. Thank you.